Welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. My name is Chris Bartlett. And I'm Matt Rice, and we hope to provide a moment of sanity during a busy week of ministry. We've both worked in ministry for a number of years and have seen just about everything. And as damaged as we are, we're ready to dive into and bring light to the hurts, hopes, and hungers that every minister has. Chris, this introduction feels weird in the midst of this time. I feel like we need to have a COVID-19 introduction. Okay. Welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. The sky is falling. (laughs) Duck. (laughs) I know, for real. So, like, when we talk about the hurts, hopes, and hungers, like, people are literally hungry. Like, I know a number of ministry leaders that have been uh, laid off, some parishes that are worried about keeping the lights on, and uh, in the fiscal realities of um, not being able to gather as community has taken a major toll on giving. And so we wanted to talk about that specifically today. Yeah, and so we, we brought on a, a special guest, guys. Uh, Andrew Robeson is here with us. He is a board member at Ablaze, and he's also the president of Petrus Development. And they recently had a summit where they had like like gurus from across the country joining, right? And, and sharing their wisdom and everything like that. Andrew, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and about this summit? Sure, well, I just wanna say thanks for having me on. I am a subscriber and I've listened to a number of episodes of the show and I think it's great. So well done to you guys for keeping this going. Yeah, so I'm the Petra, uh, president of Petrus Development. I've been in fundraising since 2005. Uh, I worked for two different Catholic centers, uh, St. Mary's at Texas A&M, the, oh, the uh, St. Thomas More Newman Center at Ohio State. I also worked at the uh, Texas A&M College of Medicine for about seven years, raising money for scholarships and research. And then uh, 2017, I left and became president of Petrus. And uh, Petrus Development, we are a consulting firm. We um, were established in 2005, and uh, really our goal is to teach uh, nonprofits, teach Catholic ministries how to fundraise. We operate under a very simple mission that when ministries have more money, they can do more mission. So, uh, now, Can I ask whose dog that is? Uh, yes, that's my dog. <laughs> Uh, one of them, they, they never bark, and of course, they time it perfectly. I think there's an airplane flying overhead. Last week, the pest control guy showed up, and they just lost their minds. What do you do? This is this is live live uh, recording. So. Absolutely. So, I mean, the, the reason we wanted to bring you on is obviously you have expertise in an area that the church needs right now and is in dire need of right now. It's obvious that, in, in my mind, as a younger person, that the church should have been on online giving 10 years ago, but at least three months ago, um, you know, to be ready for something like this, um, they would be more prepared to handle and weather this storm. And we witnessed this, you know, when Hurricane Harvey came through in Houston, all the parishes that weren't meeting every Sunday because they were flooded um, were in severe financial stress. And so there needs to be, you know, but that's like, that ship has sailed in a way right now. Um, We can't, necessarily go from zero to a hundred online giving in a week or two weeks. Um, so what, what can parishes do? Chris, you look like you want to say something. Yeah. Go. But even those parishes that have online giving set up and established are still struggling greatly. I mean, it's, it's the difference between losing 65% of your income uh, to 90% of your income, you know, for those mm-hmm. who weren't already set up, the, the ones that were set up are still losing 50% or more of their regular income. And that leads to some serious implications, both short-term and long-term. 
so we did a Petrus did a virtual summit. We started March 17th and Matt, you mentioned it. And we just wrapped up on Friday with the last session by Bishop Mike Sis, who you both know, um, just a great uh, closing session. But the purpose of that was really the, the first couple of days, everybody was, you know, I, I live in a world of Catholic fundraisers and uh, executive directors and everything. And just the messages that I was getting from pastors, from development officers was just, what do I do? Like, what, how, how do we adjust? You know, some, some people had been, you know, sort of lived through the 2008 recession, which actually, uh, funny story, I moved to Columbus, Ohio in fall of 2008. And so basically the first six months of my new job fundraising, all I heard on the news was factories closing and entire towns just disappearing in Ohio and Michigan. So uh, So I was familiar territory in a way to to some extent. Yeah. Um, You know, I was sort of young and naive uh, to some extent. So I just operated as I would have normally. And we actually saw giving significantly increase during my time there. Um, But the, the point is the, the reason that we started the summit was just uh, to give people a place that they could go for one commiserate, you know, so everybody is in the same boat. We had one of the guests was Matt Reggett's who you probably, you guys probably know sure. um, from, yeah, from Prince of Peace and now with divine renovation and Matt Reggett's and David Light talked about kind of how do you bridge ministry and finance at a parish. And Matt had a really good analogy where he talked about Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Harvey wrecked, Houston and the entire Houston area and everybody in Houston lived through that. That was the epicenter of the storm. Now with COVID-19, the, the entire world, literally the entire world is at the epicenter of this storm. Mm -hmm. And so nobody is immune. Everybody is um, focused on one thing right now. It's how do I, how do we get through COVID-19 healthy and in a place that we can just continue, if nothing else, just continue, survive and continue what we were doing. Um, what, what I found through three weeks of um, conversations on the summit, and this was from participants, this was from speakers, is, gosh, this really sucks right now. And I hope I can say that on your podcast. This really, this really sucks right now. <laughs> but gosh, what an amazing opportunity that this presents for so much our church um, our individuals as catholics um, you know one of the transformational moments in my faith was um, i was living in colorado and this girl i liked i invited her to come to mass with me the next day and uh, you know she said yeah and we went to mass and i mean it was you know it wasn't anything bold or you know i wasn't like going way out of my comfort zone, but it was just this invitation. And I think that now we as Catholics are, and Christians, and we are presented with kind of the same opportunity. How how can we take this opportunity? How can we take this terrible experience and draw the good out of it and make those invitations and bring more people into uh, deeper understanding with, uh, with Christ, with the church, with our teachings. Um, And, Finances are a part of that, right? But you have to start with just that relationship. Um, somebody said you have to have nine conversations about ministry before you have one conversation about money. Mm-hmm. Um, and and nine maybe not the number, maybe it's somewhere you know it's somewhere in there. Sometimes we have to accelerate those conversations. But the point is that if if you don't have people believing that the mission of the church is good and the mission of the church is worth supporting, your pleas for money, your appeals for support, financial support. Are, are just going to fall on, on deaf ears. So 
that's the first thing we have to do. We as a church have to show that the church doors may be closed, but the church is wide open. Mm. Um, and I think that if we can start with that, then I don't want to say the money will follow, but if you start with that, then those conversations about finances and about money and about support are, are much more fruitful and are much more, they're heard um, by the listener versus by our audience versus just being spoken and not heard. So how do you do that in this time? Okay, great. So uh, I've got three, three things that if you're a pastor and you've got overwhelming sense of anxiety about everything, right? Um, how am I going to keep my people on staff? How are we going to continue to minister? How am I going to administer the sacraments to my flock? All of those things. So there's, there's a lot that I know can be overwhelming about this. So I've come up with three, three things that pastors, church leaders can kind of focus on, right? So the first is communicate, the second is innovate, and the third is plan. And so what do I mean by that? Communicate is just, we have to main, I don't want to say remain relevant, because that sounds just like the baseline, uh, right? We have to remain so much more than relevant. But we as church leaders have the opportunity to still communicate with our people on, in some cases, on a much larger scale. Father Ben Hass is the pastor and director of campus ministry at St. Albert the Great at Michigan Tech University, small school, smallish school up in the upper peninsula of Michigan. And he got there about six years ago and had a, had a fairly, fairly active campus ministry, uh, but he's grown it significantly. They brought in focus. They did a lot. They, they implemented fundraising. They have more money. They built a program up. Um, and he was saying the other day on a call with him, he said, you know what's crazy is that right now, even though I have zero people in my church, I feel like I am connecting with as many people as I was six years ago when I first showed up, just because of the growth of the ministry. So, and, and he says, not just those people, it's not just the people that were here before, but it's so many more that are, I mean, they're tuning in for his, uh, you know, his little Facebook live videos and they're reading the emails and all of that. So the, the first thing is just communicate. Don't feel like just because your people aren't showing up on Sunday, you've lost your ability to, to communicate with them, to minister to them. Now there's, there's right ways to do that. And there are some wrong ways to do that. Um, there's a pastor and he will remain totally uh, nameless and anonymous. But um, one of my friends sent me the video and it was him uh, sort of just, he was on, he was on video. So, was, you know, first step there, right. So that's part of it. Um, it was a Facebook live, I think, or just a video that he made, but he was just sort of explaining things and talking about history of things that are, were in his office. And I think the point was he wanted to just like invite people in to like his world, which is mm -hmm. great. But there, he missed the message of, um, uh, he missed the message of we're here for you. Mm. He's missed the message of we care for you. And he's missed the message of we're still doing ministry. So mm. I think if you can hit on those things, then that's a good way to communicate. So just, I know that there's some fear surrounding it because ultimately uh, there also needs to be an ask, right? Like we have financial needs and, and I know you're going to get to that, but how can we make that ask when we know that some members in our audience have lost their jobs and we're afraid that we might come across as insincere, like we don't care. Um, and, and, but, but we do care so much so that we want to have these ministries here for you when we get back to whatever the new normal is going to be. And that's why we're asking for money during this time, but we don't want to be insensitive to the needs to where if you can't give right now, we are still here for you. Yeah. So that's a great question, Chris. And, and I will say that, that when we first started our summit, that was a huge point of concern of people is 
how do we keep asking? Should we ask? Should we include any language in there about finances and the need for the church? So going back to kind of my earlier point, you have to start with talking about mission and you have to talk about we care about you. We as a church are here to serve and we're going to continue to do that. Now, that being said, there are people that um, are financially impacted in a negative way by this. There are also people, I don't know that it's as many people, but there are also people that are not financially negatively impacted by this and are actually probably doing a little bit better just, you know, on a short-term basis. So the way that we have encouraged people to um, put that, put that ask out there. Right. And, and I've got, we've got all sorts of templates on our website. People can go to petrusdevelopment.com slash virtual dash summit. And we've got, um, uh, templates for emails, templates for appeal letters. Um, they can download that and look at that. But the way that I, we have had people that I have seen in a positive way explain there is still a need is the ministry that we are doing that you love and that you care for and that you're deeply devoted to is still active. We still want to continue to do what we have been doing. Um, if you're in a place where you can financially support, that support is that much more important at this time. So please consider making a gift to support our ministry and keep our keep our activities and our programs going. So I have found that to be a, uh, a, a gentle way of still demonstrating the need, right? You're presenting the opportunity, but you're also being mindful of the people that they are struggling and they're struggling now and they're struggling, going to be struggling long-term. I like what you were saying about that. The priest who um, made that video that he did the video and he, it sounded like he was trying to be personal, you know, with regards to what was, what was in his space. Like this is all about me. And so the video ended up being more about him than about the people he was serving. Um, so that was the mistake that, that he made, you know, he wasn't showing kind of solidarity with the people. And, I've, and, I, and I know that there are pastors out there that have sent the ask first um, before they sent that information out. So if, if you're a pastor who's done that, who has made the ask first and, and maybe, you know, potentially had has, have come off insensitive, like, can they recover from that? And what do they do? Yeah, no doubt that they can recover. Now, um, you know, some, some, bridges, some bridges you burn are never going to be able to be built back again. And that's the reality. Um, I think that what I found overwhelmingly through the three weeks of having just a lot of conversations with people um, about COVID-19 and fundraising is that those fears were really, really high when we started. People were very concerned. There were a lot that people were like, I can't do this or we shouldn't do this. By the end of the three weeks, I was like trying to pull out stories from people of donors or giving that was really, really bad. And they just weren't there. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the overwhelming response, and maybe it was just the audience that we had, but we had, you know, over 200 people that were uh, logging in or watching the videos or participating in this. There, it was much more positive after three weeks. Um, and, and what I say, what I mean by that, and, and, you know, Chris, now you're talking about people not just being furloughed and, Obviously, we don't know, you know, the long-term economic impact of this, but I heard a lot more stories of donors that were stepping up and saying, hey, I know the times are going to be tough right now. I'm going to make my end-of-year gift in April um, because I want to make sure that you have the money to make it through. We had the CFO for the Archdiocese of Denver, and their giving year-to-date for the entire year was at 90, 98% of what it was in 2019. 
So wow. they took a hit. They took a hit in March, but they had been up a little bit. And the hit that they took in March, they were expecting collections across the archdiocese to be down, decreased seventy five percent, and they were decreased more like twenty five percent. So that's beautiful. Yeah. So I mean, there's. I don't want to minimize people's um, suffering and the financial challenges that many are going to have. I, I I keep hearing more and more stories about people being laid off, furloughed, um, you know, pay cuts, and all of that. So that certainly will play out over the next couple of weeks and months to a, to a larger degree. But I would still go back to that initial thing of you have to keep communicating because mm-hmm. at some point, 2008 and 2009, giving dropped. Um, a lot of people were out of work. A lot of people were laid off with you know, seemingly no hope for the future. And by 2010, giving was back at 2007 levels. And then it continued to rise to the all-time high uh, in, I think, 2017. Um, and, and, you know, so we will come back. And so I think, so that kind of goes into my second two points, innovate and plan. So innovate is just, you know, you, we started this off by saying parishes that weren't, that, that didn't have the ability and the capacity to do online gifts. Like you got to be able to figure that out now. Um, mm-hmm. There's, there's ways that you can do that. Um, I was actually, you guys know Marcel Lejeune. Um, he was on a podcast the other day I was listening to, and he said that a friend of his runs a giving platform and their, um, their number of inquiries for new setups was up 300% in a week. So, you know, there's plenty of websites out there. We're friends with Josh Simmons. They're doing, um, eCatholic has a lot of great resources for, for online giving and for websites. Um, there's, there's a number of platforms out there. There's also, um, ways that you can, if you're a parish and, and you can't, maybe you're a small mission parish, or maybe you don't even have a website or, you know, whatever the case may be, go to your diocese, you know, diocesan support for, um, online support may be there in a case where you're not. And if you can't make that work, then, um, reach out to the folks that I give Catholic We're um, you may, you guys may be familiar with that. That's typically on giving Tuesday. Um, but they're making their resources available for all sorts of parishes and nonprofits, um, in general. So the point is, is there, there are abilities to do online giving. Now, as Chris mentioned, just because you have the ability, doesn't mean that people that all of a sudden Every, everybody's doing that, right? You have to be able to communicate that. You have to be able to make the invitation and you have to um, uh, invite people to give in that way. And the way you do that is by showing impact. Um, so it's all about, you have to talk about any, anytime we're talking about giving or asking, you always have to go back to what's the impact? What are you doing that is worthy of profound generosity? And why is giving in this method going to impact your ministry now? Now, clearly, when you have 70 to 90% of your collections coming in through the plate every Sunday, there's no question the impact of an online gift, what that is now. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of other benefits and positives out of that. It, online giving allows ministries to budget. So if you know you have, if you're at you know, $3,000 a month right now, and you go into your budgeting process, you know that that $3,000 a month is more than likely going to stay at that level for the foreseeable future, if only go up. Um, I have development officers that have large giving programs, uh, monthly giving programs, and I'll go back to St. Al's, Ren, the development director, he said that in the last three weeks, he's had eight or nine people call that were all monthly donors. Every one of them has called to update their credit card or increase their gift. None wow. of them have called to cancel. Wow. So wow. That's, a, that's a testament just to the 
long-term benefit that online and monthly and recurring giving d gives to a, a, mi a ministry, a parish, is the ability to p plan and budget, the ability to sort of withstand dips, you know, nat uh, sort of natural seasonal dips, you know, during the summer collections go down because people are on vacation. Um, and so that oftentimes kind of causes cash flow issues. So online giving, recurring giving can, can help weather those. So there's a lot of ways that you can explain what the impact is of giving online and then also, you know, to the ministry and then also just for that, their ability to help the, help the finances. This may be a random question, but what's the highest percentage of giving that you've seen a parish have that's uh, online or automated, whether it's ACH debit or credit card or whatever? What's the highest percentage that you've seen a parish get to? So the highest percentage that I've seen is still very low. Um, <laughs> we would hope that it would be higher, but the Catholic Church and Catholics in general are just a little bit further behind than other denominations in this regard. Um, you know, I, I subscribe to another podcast called Generosity Labs, and he talks a lot about sort of technologies and giving and church giving in particular. Um, and he, uh, one of the earlier episodes was talking about text to give, you know, so if you, you can do a, a campaign where your parishioners can, um, text into a number and then make a gift through their mobile device, through their phone. Um, and, and I remember thinking about that. He had example after example of like mega Protestant churches. And I just remember thinking, Oh gosh, I like, wouldn't it be great if we had a Catholic example of a parish doing text to giving? And there, there are some out there, right. But those are like the, the unicorns, the, 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 mm -hmm. the outliers. So, um, uh, so anyways, so I would say in terms of, um, percentage, I, I can't say, but it's still lower than it should be. Um, yeah. I, I work with a lot of campus, Petrus works with a lot of campus ministries, and we've seen campus ministries adapt monthly recurring giving quicker than regular parishes for the simple fact that a number of their, most of their prime supporters are alumni, parents, people that aren't there, but they want to support. So um, that, that yeah. helps. I feel like a situation like this might, I mean, might help spur. That's one of the things that I've kind of been excited about is like a situation like this is going to spur innovation um, it, with regards to ministry and with regards to fundraising, you know, and when, when you have that, you know, that consistent money coming in every Sunday through the plate, you don't recognize the need to transition, right. you know, to online giving. Um, and so then you don't have that drive, you don't have that push because you, you've got the money coming in. Well, now you're in a place where <laughs> you really wish you had been doing it. Um, I was just curious as to, you know, if, if a parish was to really push, you know, what, what kind of hopes, you know, would they have or what kind of, I just didn't know if you had any you know, data on that. No, I think it's too, too early to show data for this particular scenario. Um, but I would probably go back and look at how, how online, how um, recurring giving changed during and post Hurricane Harvey, because you had a lot of people that a lot of parishes were kind of making that case at that point. It was a shorter sort of disaster time period, right? That's mm -hmm. the thing about a hurricane or a tornado or an earthquake versus what we're going through right now. We yeah. really don't know how long this is going to last. Yep. With a with a hurricane, it's, and it was centralized. It's centralized, right? So I would. And so you could ask other dioceses to support this diocese because this diocese is greatly affected. But now every diocese is greatly affected. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So um, you know, I think that your chances, if you if you are willing to put yourself out there and willing to, if a pastor or a ministry leader is willing to be bold and make the ask for their parishioners, for people to continue to support without fear. Now, 
the fear, I think, keeps us humble, right? And keeps us from being just totally obnoxious about it. Um, but I think that the, if we can be courageous and we can be bold, then I think that pastors, or I think that um, parishioners and supporters will respond in a positive manner. And I've seen that already. And I think the innovation piece of it, you know, communicate, innovate, plan, the innovation piece of it also is on the other side of things as well. It's not just innovating in regards to the way that we're uh, collecting money or the means for fundraising, but also to let them know, like, we've innovated. Like, we are no longer using this building during this time because we're not allowed to gather. So our stewardship on this end of things, your dollar is going to go to here and here. And this is why we've made these decisions. And sometimes that innovation is that we've furloughed, furloughed, furlonged, furloughed, however you say it, furloughed some of our staff so that during this season, um, our, our stewardship of your money will be able to keep the lights on and keep keep the bills paid um, so that we have a parish when we return. But that, those are hard conversations because not everyone's going to agree with the, the innovations in stewardship um, along the way. But also it amplifies the need because if every parish continued to have the exact same dollar for dollar that was coming in, these decisions wouldn't need to be made. And I think that that goes to that third piece, the plan. So we had, um, like I mentioned, we had the uh, Brenda Canella, the CFO for the Archdiocese of Denver. She was on the summit last week, I think, or week before. The days all run together. What's today? I don't even know. Um, <laughs> but she talked a lot about um, um, how this we're in a season that is a down season for giving, a down season for ministry, in-person ministry, but it's a season. At some point, this season will end. Um, one of my uh, favorite books is called Take the Stairs um, by Rory. It's not Rory McElroy, but I'll remember the name. Um, but the, the analogy that he used that I still, I use it all the time is life has harvest seasons. And, you know, farmers, when you're out, um, when it's time to harvest, that's a season of life. And you throw everything. If you're a farmer, you're out there from the before the sun comes up to after the sun sets. And you're working hard and you're doing everything you can to get that harvest in. But at some point, the harvest ends and life will go back to some form of normalcy for that farmer. So in to apply that to our own lives, because I'm not a farmer, um, we all have harvest seasons in life. Sometimes those harvest seasons are for a couple of weeks. Sometimes they're longer, but it's a period of time where we throw all of our energy and all of our focus into one thing um, or one area of life. And then at some point life returns to normal. So, um, or some form of normalcy, normal, probably a new normal after COVID-19. And I, I have no doubt that that will be the case. So with the planning piece of that, she walked everybody through, um, you just take a, take a spreadsheet and you put every month, um, you know, January through December, and you look back at past giving and what, what was your, what was all of your revenue for January and what was all of your revenue for? So basically you do a, um, a cash flow projection report, right? And so then you apply that to this current year or the, you know, forecasting for what's coming up. And so then that's where you can put in, all right, giving for March is going to be 25% of what giving for March 2019 was giving for April will be 25%. Maybe for giving for May will be at 50% giving for June will be at 75%. And then, you know, and so then you can kind of project out and obviously you need a crystal ball to get it totally right. But if you can put some mental energy and 
bring people together on your team. Everybody has a fine. Every parish has a finance council. Every parish has a pastoral council. Uh, hopefully, you, pastors have recruited people with you know different skill sets and and, and insights that can help sort of um, manage and direct these conversations. The point is, is that you can project out, you can forecast, and at some point, life comes back to normal. And the harvest season that we're in, this negative harvest season, will come to some sense of some some ending and then we can plan accordingly as a result of that so that's where kind of these other two things you have to keep communicating and you have to keep innovating because at some point this period will end and we'll we'll be in a the ministries that do that the parishes that do both of those things will be in a much better spot somebody had a great quote last week and it said if the church is there for parishioners now during an experience like this those parishioners are going to come back so much stronger at the end because they feel cared for, they feel appreciated, and they know that their pastor, their parish loves them and cares for them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if, if, you, if you are there with people during times like this, then yeah, they will be with you through your, your tough times as well. This is what, the, this is what our ministries exist for, is times like this. Yeah, absolutely. Right? You can make the case that the church is necessary all the time, and, and it is, but... Oh my gosh, in times of crisis, the church is that much more critical. Our ministries, our missions, our message is that much more critical. So if at a time like this, you're going to pack up and say, we'll see you when it's over, like yeah. what, a, what a mistake, what a huge loss. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. The, the church isn't meant for, for good times. You know, the church is, yeah, is, is there, you know, when, when people need them. Um, the, uh, I had mentioned in a previous podcast an idea or a plan, and I guess it was a, a mix of innovation and planning. Um, I just want to know if it's a stupid idea um, or if it's something that people um, or if you've seen parishes doing it. And the thought was that a pastor, you know, goes and talks to his staff and says, hey, guys, um, we are going to have to make cuts, but I don't want to have to do that. Um, for the next month or for the next two weeks, we're going to keep everybody's pay right where it is. But we're spending 30 hours a week, every one of us calling every single parishioner. And we're going to talk to them about, you know, we're going to ask them how they're doing. Um, we're going to pray with them. Um, we're going to let them know what we're doing and we're going to ask them to give. <laughs> you know, um, Is that a, like, have you seen anybody do anything like that? Is that a good idea, a innovation, a good plan? You know, where could it go awry? Any thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, if everyone all of a sudden gets emergency deputized as a, a fundraising officer. Yeah, I have seen that. And I would say there's no reason to stop with just your staff, right? So um, I've got a, a colleague, a Petrus consultant. She also works um, at a ministry in Indiana. And they got all their staff and they got their board. They have a, um, a board. So if you have a finance council, if you have a pastoral council, and she wrote up a script, and I think the script is available on our website as well. Um, but the script is applicable for the first 30 seconds of every phone call. And then, you know, if they answer, they, I mean, it's a good practice, right? And the response that we have had are two things. One, the people being receiving those phone calls are incredibly touched. So one, one ministry had, stu had, a, had a student calling, and she said, one of the first ladies she called was a mom of a current student who started crying on the phone because she was so touched that somebody from her son's campus ministry program was calling just to see how they were, how she was doing. It's incredibly impactful for the people getting the calls. It's also very impactful for 
those that are doing the calling. So the response from those staff and the response from the finance council and the response of the volunteers or staff from PF students that are doing the calls, like that's an experience for them as well, because they're going to hear, hear real raw conversations that maybe they don't have the answers to. So that's, you know, part of the fear of, I don't want to do it because I don't know what I'm going to tell these people. Like, just be honest, just be authentic, be honest. And if you don't know the answer to something, say, gosh, I don't know the answer to that. I can get the answer to you. If you're calling somebody and they say, gosh, you're, I just got off the phone with my employer and I'm furloughed for the next four weeks. Like that's going to be a real raw conversation, but how much better is it for them to have somebody from the church reaching out to them at that time? And if you don't know what to say, say, I don't know what to say. I am, but I am completely honest that I will pray for you that we will, I will put your name in the book of intentions. And if there's anything that we can do for you as a parish community, as a fellow person of the church and of God, please, I want to help. Please ask. And then of course you ask them to increase their giving, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, but no, that that's would, where, the, the, that would be that's where when they come ask. back, they're going to come back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Right. And that's the thing is you have to give people space. Um, I listen, <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about a lot of podcasts and things that I listen to. Currently that's all I do is uh, record <laughs> summits and listen to podcasts. But um, uh, there was a speaker who said yesterday as a church leader, we have to be able to let ourselves grieve as well. Mm. Like mm. there's a, there's a time and a place that if you're, he made the point that if you're a church leader, you can't grieve in front of everybody else all the time, but you can do it some of the time, but you have to give yourself time to grieve. So that's the first is just get your, get yourself, give yourself space and permission to grieve, to suffer along with everybody else. And then steal that, steal your courage and get out there and make those calls. Yeah, because every ministry leader listening to this podcast had plans for their ministry, had plans for the future. What was this, the rest of the semester going to look like? What was the summer going to look like? What was next year going to look like? And they have to mourn that loss. Like first, I mean, of course, I'm sure you go through all the five stages stages of grief. You're like in denial. Oh, no, everything will be fine. No, it's not going to be fine. Everything's going to be completely different. You know, and then you go through all those other stages and, and mourning is part of that. Well, okay, so we just scratched the surface here. The big takeaways are communicate, innovate, and plan. Um, But there's a lot more out there in regards to the resources. Andrew, you mentioned that your digital conference was online or has videos and and resources. Could you tell us where to find that one more time just for people that want to drill drill a little deeper on this topic? I'm picking up what you're laying down here, Chris. Thank you very much. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So our website, PetrusDevelopment.com slash virtual dash summit. I wish that I would have gone back and taken out that dash at some point. Maybe I'll create another page and then have the dash, but virtual dash summit. Or you can go to our YouTube page, just search for YouTube channel, search for Petrus Development, P-E-T-R-U-S. Or we've got a Facebook page. Um, All of our uh, links are up there. Or you can listen to all the audio from those calls on our podcast, The Petrus Development Show, which is on uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, um, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all of that. So yeah, a lot and- of resources out there. I don't have all the resources, but, um, and, and one more point that I want to make is if you're a pastor or you're a church leader, look at the options that the SBA is presenting because it's kind of been this understood that those um, SBA loans, either the emergency uh, emergency distribution loans or the um, Payroll Protection Protection Act. Yeah, it's been understood that those were available for faith-based ministries, but my understanding is somebody texted me that the White House came out today and said, 
it's official, they are, faith communities are eligible for uh, funds through that. So look at that before you start making um, decisions about uh, furloughing your staff or laying people off because there may be, may be ways to, to take advantage and leverage those funds. Yeah. And while, and I'll just encourage everybody listening, while this may seem like a time to, I don't know, like save what you have, you know, and put up your turtle shell, pull into your shell or whatever. Um, and there may be some of that that needs to be done, you know, to, uh, but I, instead of just getting into your shell and protecting yourself, we need to be thinking about ways to grow and expand ministry and thinking of ways to recover in a way what we've lost. And that's what this whole podcast was about. Not just hiding in your show and protecting what you have and cutting everybody's pay and firing everybody so that you have money in a couple months, but finding a way to keep doing what you're doing and innovate, plan, and communicate in different order, but same thing. Yeah, it's communicate, innovate, plan, but I'll <laughs> let it slide. Thank you very much. Yeah, so going back to my, uh, my earlier story about me being transformed by extending that invitation to the girl to come to mass with me the next day, like be willing to make the invitation, be willing to go out and be honest, be authentic with your parishioners, with people that you're walking with. And if they can't help you now, they're going to come back when, when they can, they're going to come back stronger and ready to help you out. Amen. Amen. Andrew, thank you for joining us today. If they want to reach out to you specifically, how would they follow your Instagram or whatever it is? <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Chris. We just started, I had a, uh, <laughs> I, we had a guest who actually works for Instagram. She's like a project project manager and uh-huh. she's great. And um, after the call, uh, I said, I was texting with her, I guess, I said, I guess Petrus needs an Instagram page now, right? And she said, uh, yeah, Andrew, you do. <laughs> so we have an Instagram page now. Thank you very much. Um, but uh, just go to our website, PetrusDevelopment.com. My email is Andrew at Petrus Development. Easy way to get a hold of me. Um, we are on Facebook. We're on Twitter, on Instagram, all of that. And I'm more than happy to answer questions, to provide resources, to help point you in the right direction, or to listen to what you're going through and just Awesome. Thanks, Andrew. You guys can send any feedback you have to MLA at ablaze.us and share this podcast with others. We really need to get this message out because this is a season that's difficult, but there's hope in this season from our God of abundance. Here at Ministry Leaders Anonymous, we believe if you want to go far, you go, (laughs) well. (laughs) Here at Ministry Leaders Anonymous, we believe that if you want to go quickly, go alone. And if you want to go far, we go together. Take some time this week to pray for other ministry leaders, especially those having financial challenges. We will see you guys next week on Ministry Leaders Anonymous. Thanks again, Andrew, and God bless you all.